Welcome to the Walk With Me podcast. I'm Pastor Stephen Bond from the Vine Church in Chapel Hill, Tennessee, and I'm excited that you are walking with me. What we do each day is we look at about three chapters of Scripture that I'm just organically reading through in my time with the Lord, and we're going to discuss them for around 20 minutes. You're going to get the most out of this if you read these chapters individually, but hopefully together we'll be able to hear the voice of the Lord as we're meeting each day. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. Today's passage is from Song of Solomon, chapters 4, 5, and 6. We're just in the middle of this love story, and um, it, it, it's, so, it's so wild, it's so beautiful, and it's, and it's so strange to be reading in Scripture as well. Just this, this lover's story and the way that they describe each other. And like we said, as we were dwelling upon the first three chapters, we want to apply this in um, every way that we can. A lot of times when people read the Bible, they seek to find what's the like right single application for this scripture. And the problem with that is that might be the way that we would read other books, but it's really not the way that we can correctly read the Bible because it's alive. It's living and it's active and it's going to have multiple applications. And if I try to uh, only apply it to one application. If I try to only find, well, this means this, then every time I open it, then that's all I'm ever going to be reminded of is, well, I know what this means. And instead, when I read the Bible, I want to open it. And even though I may have already had a pre-existing understanding of what it ministered to me the last time that I read it, I'm now looking on with a f- with fresh eyes and asking for the Lord to let it speak a new thing to me. And, you know, there's so many different times that I'll I'll exit portions of Scripture and I'll even think like, man, have I ever read that before? You know, like, have I, has that always been in the Bible? You know, and, and I'm, and I'm like, well, I've read through the whole Bible. You know, I, I know that, that I've read that, but it's like, it didn't even speak to me last time, you know? And, and, um, and so that's just how the word is. And so we, we want to understand that this is a story of two lovers and it, and it does express God's consent and celebration for love and for sexual relations and for excitement. And, you know, it, it's kind of like, years ago I did this I got into this deep study of food and eating and uh, that's a journey that I'm still on because I've you know struggled with my weight and eating and I've made I've been a glutton and I've just you know so I've just pursued the Lord on this you know in the last several years and one of the things that really blessed me was understanding just something really basic which is that God made food and if God didn't want us to enjoy food then God wouldn't have given food any flavor Right. It would have just been another. It would have been like breathing air. Like we don't even think about enjoying it. Like, oh, I can't wait to get home and get some air. You know, it's like, no, it's just instinctually it just happens. And there's really no pleasure in it. It's just what we need. Right. But but God did something with food where he made uh, all of these fruits and these vegetables and he gave each one of them its own flavor. And, you know, he's given us seasonings and he's given us meat for food and all these different things. And it's actually so that we would enjoy it. We just exited Ecclesiastes where Solomon was saying, hey, one of the best things I've found in life is to eat and drink. And it's like, well, 
there's something beautiful about tasting of the pleasures of food and of drink, right? Because God's given it to us and, and it's good. However, of course, we're to take of it in the right context and in the right way and not to be gluttons and not to be seekers of pleasure alone, right? Well, in the same way, we have to understand that sex is that same way. It's really actually very spiritually immature and elementary of us to think that sex is only a device to procreate with. Because if that were the case, then the Lord would have not created in us the hormones and the desires and and just um, the, the pure pleasure that we experience in sex. And y'all just try to be mature with me because I know this is a, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I know this is a topic that you don't typically discuss, but it's in the Bible and it needs to be spoken of. But even the, even the concept of sex, if you think about it, is rather simple. The idea of two people becoming one and body parts becoming adjoined to one another, right? And yet there's, God created it and interwove it in such a way where we would pursue it, we would desire it, we would crave it, and that we would enjoy it. And it would be pleasurable, even the act of it in such a way that's deeper than if I hold, uh, when you hold a woman's hand, you hold your bride's hand or you hold your husband's hand, it's, it's a closeness, it's an intimacy, but it doesn't release a pleasure and you don't yearn for it right? You enjoy it, but there's something special that God made with sex that these body parts that are covered could be uncovered and could be connected to one another. And that the very action would be something that I crave like food. And that when I partake of it, I would find enjoyment and closeness and intimacy with my bride or with my groom, uh, with my, with my wife, with my husband, that I would experience this, you know? And so we, we just, we can't put it into a box like it's just for for uh, having children or for 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 these sort of things. You know, it, it, that's just not how it is. It, it's just that God even made it so beautiful that when we partake of it, there's even a fruit that comes from it, and that's our children. And so it, it's just it's completely beautiful. And we can't let the world uh, take their spin on what God has done and what he has made and think that they now get to claim it because it's not, it's not theirs. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a big city, you know, compare going somewhere like Los Angeles or, uh, you know, even for us, if you're living around Tennessee, you're going to Nashville and you look at the city and, and how is it? Is it, is it beautiful? You think, is it, is it nice? You know, okay, well, here's the, here's the big football stadium. Here's the big concert venue. Here's the big skyscraper. And you kind of look at it and you go like, wow, okay, that's like, that's nice, right? You, you look at it for a second. You'll never marvel on the things that man makes, like the way that we'll marvel on what God has made. Because when you go out and you look at the ocean, it, it actually is breathtaking. When you look out at the mountains, or we were just in Kentucky this weekend and watching uh, um, the seasons change, and uh, it was just amazing. And then we took this detour um, and ended up staring at the most beautiful sunset I've ever seen in my life for about an hour. It was just every color, and it was just amazing, and there's just nothing that man's ever going to make that's like that. And I want you to understand that that's the way sex is. 
it's most beautiful and it's most exciting and it's most intoxicating between the husband and the wife. They're in love with Jesus and they're in love with each other. And in that arena, it'll never be more beautiful than that. And I don't care what kind of garbage they're selling through social media, through pornography, through the movies today. All that is is skyscrapers and things that man is making and it will never be what God has made. And so, you know, it, it's just, we have to understand that, that again, the world doesn't own sex. God does. And he made it for us and it's good, you know, and it's just like, it's just like, the, it's just like food, you know, it's this, it's the same way. It's like God made oranges and cantaloupes and peaches. And like, I love a Georgia peach, juicy Georgia peach. It's like, and when you eat that, it's delicious and it's good for you. It actually has nutrients. So you're enjoying of it, but it's also blessing you. That's God's original design for sex is I'm enjoying it and it's actually good for me. It's good for my body. You can even scientifically look up that that sex is good for your body. There's literally hormones released. There are things happening because you were made to have sex. And and so, but you were made in the way that we were made to eat a peach. If I eat of a peach, it's tasty and it's good for my body. And when you partake of sex with your spouse, it's enjoyable and it's good for your emotions. It's good for your mental health. It's good for your relationship. It's good for your body. Now, if you take and you have and you partake of sex and it's with with just any person or if it's lust and it's even just absent of anyone and it's just through ways of pornography and all this you're you've taken the concept of it and it's like feasting on oreos it's like it might be pleasurable for a second but you feel horrible afterwards and it's bad for your body but you see you see the difference in the two and so i just want us to understand through the through the purest of lenses don't worry we'll be out if you're uncomfortable we'll be in isaiah in like 2 days and all of this will be done <laughs> done and over with but but i want us to understand that this is a good thing we shouldn't be shy or or ashamed or bashful or uncomfortable about talking about how sex is good and i should be having it with my spouse and enjoying it with my spouse and thankful to god for it because he made it for me right and he made it for my marriage and so you know and and it's and it's not to be taken lightly and made jokes of and not to speak uh in a way uh, of it like it's um you know we have to treat it with respect and you're you're going to you're always around people that are unmarried or people that are um you know, not happily married. And so you treat it respectfully. You don't go around and, and talk about it. Like it, 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 there's a, there's a, a sacredness to it that it should, where it should exist within the marriage chambers and where I am my beloved's and she is mine, you know, and, and it's not something that you just shout to the street tops about everything that's going on in that place. That's what's beautiful about it is, is it's it's a secret chamber that the Lord has given us where we can go and be purely intimate. It's like returning to Eden again. But then when you step back into the world, you, you retreat to that place and you don't boast of the, what, what takes place in the love that exists there, if that makes sense. That's another part of what makes it so intimate. So as I'm celebrating it, I don't want you to think that because we celebrate it, that we just, you know, openly should speak of it. That's kind of the world's problem is they make it too light of a thing and they talk of it too freely. Whereas we are unashamed in the fact that we're, we enjoy 
each other's love. But we don't speak on it freely to those because it could be a stumbling block to them. Right? And that's so we have to be careful with that. Even even Paul says that regarding your diet and the way that you eat. Be careful even speaking of how you eat to other people, lest you be a stumbling block to them. You know, and so if that's true for food, how much more is that true for sex, right? And so um you know, so I just wanted to cover all that, and I am covering a lot of what the text is saying. The text is so poetic that I want you to kind of understand just uh, my takeaway and how it's blessing me and what it's ministering to me, and hopefully it is to you as well. Um, but the text is so poetic, and he, he uses all this imagery that it's kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around, but basically, just as lovers do, they were searching for the most descriptive, powerful language that they could to express their um, desire for one another. So in chapter 4, it says, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. And again, that's the first understanding of this is this, this consent and this celebration that God has for marriage. And then we're not going to shorten it also that God has given us all things so that we can relate to him and his love better. Okay. And so when I'm reading this bridegroom speak to his bride and say, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Have you ever thought about God, Jesus, and just looking out at you and just saying, you are beautiful. You are beautiful. You are altogether lovely. I find no flaw in you. That's that's the understanding of of the love of Jesus for us, his bride, the church. And so for us to have ability to relate to that level of love, we must um we must approve of and celebrate that sort of love. Right? If our if our marriages are boring and loveless and sexless and lacking intimacy and purity, then how can we relate to this love of Jesus who says, you are beautiful and I laid down my life for you and now I find no flaw in you and I'm just chasing you down for all the days of your life. And and so he goes on to say, your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing. Um, your lips are like a scarlet thread and your mouth is lovely. Um, your two breasts are like fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. And he says, um, come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amana, from the peak of Sinir and Hermon, from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards, because you have captivated my heart. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes. There's an underlying story in this text that they yearn to be with each other. They just, they just, we don't know why. There's something preventing them. You know, maybe they're, they're, maybe they're just not married yet. And so they're just betrothed and they're just waiting for this time where they can be with each other. But there's this yearning of time, you know, and something I heard recently, and it's been blessing me a lot in every context, is that love is spelt T-I-M-E. And it really is. Love is about time. And so you need to understand that from the way that we love our our spouses, the way that we love our children, 
And and listen, in the way that we love God is that just as just as this groom is saying, come away with me. I want to be with you. You've captivated my heart. So does the Father say to, to us, I want to be with you. Come and meet with me. Step outside. Have a conversation. Take a ride in your car. Sit in my word. Open up a journal and write a letter to me. I want to be with you. And so he goes on and and um, then she begins to speak and she says, let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruit. He speaks and he says, I came to my garden. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. And, you know, it, it's funny. I was, I was, before I actually had a chance to go and just be alone with the Lord, I was just reading this text earlier inside and, and a friend of mine called me and I said, hang on a second. I got to reset my mind before we even have a conversation because I feel, um, I'm a little flustered right now. I'm in Song of Solomon chapter five. <laughs> And he was saying, oh, yeah, you're probably kind of sweaty right now. <laughs> and it, it's just, it's honest that the text is is like provocative and it's exotic. And and the, the, the imagery and how it uses things like honey and spices and myrrh and wine and milk and dew and all of this stuff. This is the choicest and greatest and the best and the best smelling and, and, and of things that they would have had. And he, they're just looking at each other and they're describing each other like, you're just dripping with the finest of oil and I smell your aroma and I'm intoxicated by it. And your hair is like dipping with or dripping with dew. And it's just this, it's like, it's basically like I'm just salivating within me to be with you. It's exotic. It's erotic because it's just the love that God has implanted in in us that we could have for for um our bride and for our groom and so these chapters are really descriptive of just the way that they see each other and you know I was talking with my son yesterday and I was just telling him I was like you know some it was kind of a breakthrough for me I started thinking back to different you know people that I had dated in my adolescent years and stuff and I just thought back to how many of them just really didn't care that much about me and we're all kind of like that because we're trying to figure out what love is when we're young and you know i think it's so beautiful that the bible paints such a picture of what kind of love we should be looking for you know and it's funny because the world is oh man the world is a mess right because the world is like they have no moral compass and they just don't understand what's right and what's wrong so the world teaches things like you know it's not about what's on the outside it's about what's on the inside and find somebody for their personality you know <laughs> never thought you'd hear this sermon find somebody that loves jesus with all their heart and their mind and their soul and then find somebody that loves you in a way like you've never felt to be a real love before and that your heart explodes when you see them and you love them and don't you dare think about marrying someone that you're not just crazy about like the way that this man was for his bride because you're setting yourself up for a difficult marriage because listen to me that woman deserves a man that will look at her the way that this man was looking at his bride and listen you do too. You deserve to be looked at this way. And we're just settling because it's like, oh, well, she's really funny. Like, guys, we think we're doing a service. Like, well, she's really funny. And so I'm just going to settle for her. It's like, well, you're not just settling for her. You've also caused her to settle too, because it's unfair that you're betrothing yourself to her, joining yourself to her for the rest of your life. And you don't look at her like the way Jesus looks at his bride. 
And you've put her at a disadvantage that she'll, she'll have a difficulty knowing the love of Jesus because she's yoked into someone that, 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 that thinks she's okay. Don't marry someone because they're okay. You know, I mean, I'm just, I'm just being honest. The world doesn't get all this. But when it comes down to single people and who they should marry, and, and if you're already married, you, you know, this is not for you. Other than that you should be seeking to maintain this, okay? Continue to look at your bride. Continue to celebrate them. Continue to, to pursue love with them. But, but to those men and women who are not yet married, don't do, don't do anybody any favors by settling, okay? You start praying for God to raise up the woman that, in, that he wove together intricately within her mother's womb and thought of you. And you'll know that woman when you meet her and you won't try to win her over. You won't try to, none of this kind of stuff. She'll be madly in love with Jesus. She'll be madly in love with you. If she's not madly in love with Jesus, then she's not for you. Let's, let's start there. And then you'll be madly in love with her. And it's not about if she looks like Hollywood looks or if he looks like a football player. It's not about all that worldly stuff. It's that about your heart just leaps within you and your best effort to describe your love sounds like, Solomon, uh, or whoever this gentleman here is, it, it sounds like this crazy love where you're like, I don't know, it's just, you're like dripping with dew, and I'm just, it's like, it's like you can't even find the right words to describe how in love that you are with this person. That's the kind of love we should be seeking, because we are the representation of Jesus in the church. So why are we picking these, we're settling for these people, and we're just trying to get married and coexist, and that's just not what it's all about. We need... Whether you're unmarried or whether you're already married, listen to this. We need marriages that consist of husbands and wives being mad about each other and pursuing each other and loving each other with all intimacy and intoxication because we're showing this world a depiction of the way that Jesus loves his bride. And let me tell you what, he's not just complacent with us. He's not just, he's not just enduring us. He's crazy about us. And if you're not crazy about your bride, or if you're not crazy about your groom, start praying again to, to, for, for a love to be, to be awoken within you. For, for love to awaken in you so that you could love your, your spouse in the way that they need and deserve to be loved and the way that we were made to be loved. And so um, they just, they speak to each other in this passionate language in chapters five and six. And they say things like, I'm sick with love. And, um, you know, his mouth is most sweet and he is altogether desirable. And in chapter six, she says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. And, um, so it's just, it's just this understanding of, of this sort of love and we shouldn't be ashamed of it or bashful of it. We should pursue it. We should pray for it. We should pray that our children find it. We should teach our children what to look for. Right. I think about how many women I knew in my adolescent years that I tried to win over. Like it was a competition. And now I look back and I thought, man, I'm so glad I never won that competition because I ended up marrying a woman that really looks at me like this bride looks at her groom. And I married a woman that I look at like the way he looks at her. And we get to show the world the way Jesus looks at us. And that's what it's all about.